Church, before you find your seats, turn to somebody, wave, and say, Happy Sunday, and then you may be seated. It is great to see you. Welcome to Valley Point Church. I'm thankful that you're here today. I also want to say hi to everyone watching online. Thank you for joining us as well. One more time, will you just help me welcome our friend and missionary, Buddy Thigpen? <laughs> Buddy, welcome back to Valley Point. It truly is a joy just to have you here talking to our church and your church family as well. If you are new or newer to Valley Point and have never met Buddy, he's been a part of our church for a long time. He's been serving in Russia and now in Ukraine, and you'll hear more about that as we move through our time. But you've been connected to Valley Point Church for a long time. He loves us, and I know he regularly prays for us as well. He has been one of my best encouragers through the years, and I'm certainly thankful for that. It seems, buddy, every time you're here, though, the world is shifting and just dramatically changing. For 25 years, you served as a missionary in Russia, primarily in the city of Smolensk and surrounding areas. And now for the past 21 months, not in Russia, but serving in Ukraine. Tell us a little bit about your work and what fills your time these days. Well, first, let me thank you again for the invitation to come back. I don't know of any other place that I enjoy coming to more than coming to Valley Point. I am so proud of you. This is a good-looking crowd this morning. You, you are prettier this year than you were last year. And it is just amazing to me. Uh, Eric and I talked a good while last night about how the church is going. And, and I, I just, I love you and I love this church. And, I, and I'm just so proud of what God is doing here. And, and the music today was just so good. And I, I am moved and good music moves us, doesn't it? And That's right. But don't we want not to just be moved? We want to be changed. Mm. And that's what church is all about. And, and, I, and, I, and I long to see, uh, in, even in this year, how God is going to change you and build you and grow you and make this a place where he will be honored and he'll be glad for what you've done. Mm. It does seem uh, that... Things have changed. When I sat here last year, we said the same thing, I think. Right. Things have changed so much. And then I'm back again this year, and things have changed again. And we are living in an age where things just change faster than we can keep up with. Don't you feel that? Mm -hmm. uh, don't you feel that things are just different than they ever have been? And I know that you're doing the same thing we are. We're running as hard as we can to keep up with the changes. We... Um, as I think about the last 21 months, things have changed so much. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of an idea how that's changed. When the war first started, of course, I was uh, in Russia. And, uh, and I still am a missionary to Russia. I, I, I never have looked at this war as Ukraine against Russia. 
I love the Russian people. I spent a quarter of a century working there, and you helped me. Some of you went with me there. And you have friends yet there in, in Russia. So it's not us against them. There is a, an evil regime that sits in Moscow that has caused these things to happen. And I think there's a lot involved in that. But we ended up in Ukraine because we had to stand uh, on God's principles. Uh, God's always been against the oppressor and for the oppressed. And we find ourselves working with the Ukrainians who, who they are, are the oppressed. But when we first went there, we found ourselves trying to plug holes that the regime in, in Moscow ha had caused there in Ukraine, and most of that was working with refugees. Overnight, 7 million people became homeless. Overnight. All of a sudden, bombs started falling, and people didn't have a place to stay, and their, their houses were gone, their lives were gone overnight, and we were trying our best with, uh, with a bunch of other people to try to find places for them to live, stay, and it, it, it meant a, tons and tons of humanitarian aid, food and clothes and, and uh, medicines and all kinds of things to help them in the beginning. Now, 20, 21 months later, a lot of that is still going on, but there's other things going on as well. And now we're filling our days with trying to train. We've been invited by the uh, Ukrainian army to help them develop their chaplaincy program an amazing godsend. We get to work with the chaplains within the Ukrainian army to minister to soldiers. Those guys who are the chaplains are also pastors of churches. And so we are working to minister to soldiers and to civilians at the same time. Add to that also that we're beginning a ministry we'll talk about a little bit more uh, helping widows and orphans that this war causes. There has b become an obvious lack of leadership in the churches all around Ukraine because of the war. Uh, they're without pastors. They're without youth pastors. They're without Sunday school teachers. They're without deacons. Why? Because they're either on the line fighting the war or they've been killed or they have left the country. And so you've got a church like your church. And the pastor's a soldier now. They don't have a pastor. They don't have Sunday school teachers because they're fighting or because they've left. And so we're working with the seminaries and with the churches there to try to put together programs to teach leaders to lead. And we're also uh, working with getting ready for this war to end. War causes trauma. And if the war ended tomorrow, there would be ministry for us in, to fill my lifetime mm. because of the trauma that ca war causes, because of the loss, because of the pain, because of the suffering. And we're called to minister to those people. So those are some of the things that are filling our yeah. days now. Buddy, we partnered with you last year for our Christmas initiative. And if you were here, you remembered that. And today kind of officially launches this year's Christmas initiative with Buddy and Next week, we'll have more partners here to talk about their work and what they are doing. But the church responded to that initiative last year. You were so generous, and we gave a gift to you. Can you just talk about how you were able to use our generosity and our gift last year? Yeah, you were indeed generous, as you always are. And this church, to me, is a model, and I, and I share you with people wherever I go, a model of of how things are supposed to be. The principle of God is I'll bless you. I want to bless you, not just because I love you more than anybody else, but I want to bless you so that you can 
You follow this principle throughout Scripture so that you can bless the nations. Mm. God has a desire that the world know who He is. And how does He do that? He does that through His people. And so He blesses us. And there is no place in the history of mankind that God has blessed more than, than the United States of America and God's people here. And so our, our principle is that we give to bless the nations. And so you have done that so well. And last year you were so generous. Last year was one of the most unique and unusual times uh, that we've ever experienced. Um, I don't think anybody's experienced it since World War II. What Russia did during, uh, or the aggressors from Russia did during the winter last year was target civilians, much more or as much as it did soldiers. And they were, uh, you probably read about it, kept up with it, they were targeting uh, the infrastructure, the electric infrastructure within Ukraine so that the people were without heat, they were without, without lights. One of the most eerie things that you can imagine is going into a town uh, full of people, but there is no light. Mm. And in the evening, you go into that town and you walk down the streets of that town and there are people there, but there's no street lights. And there's no lights coming from the windows of businesses. And there, uh, there is no... There is nothing that you can um, get your arms around, really. It's a weird experience, but you hear the whirring of generators. Everybody wants a generator uh, to keep the, some, some lights on. You see candles in windows, or you hear uh, generators, and they, there's small lamps everywhere. And what we did last year is we tried to help people keep their lights on. And so generators last year was a big deal. It was the most popular item in all of Ukraine to the point where we couldn't buy them in, in Ukraine anymore. We had to go to Poland and to the Baltics to find generators. And so we supplied, you helped supply many a church, many a hospital, many a home, uh, schools with generators so that they could just keep life going. You did part of that with your initiative. And then, of course, there was the things that we always do. We, we, we were on the front line. I had Christmas dinner last year. Christmas for Ukraine is on January 7th. So I had Christmas dinner last year on the front lines with soldiers. And you provided a meal for them. And you pro provided gifts for soldiers who couldn't go home and be with their families. And you provided that for them. Warm weather clothing. Warm weather clothing both for them and for their families. And you provided things that would help them get through the winter. We did programs with... Uh, with we, we did our first program with widows and orphans last year. We're going to build on that this year, but our first one, we gathered those ladies together, and we did a, a three-day retreat with our first group of widows. There were 80 of them, and we did for three days programs with them, helping them to learn uh, in their first winter without their husband or without their son or without their brother. We gave them biblical principles to help them cope. We did crafts with them. We enjoyed the time with them. And those ladies listened as we presented the Christmas story and presented the gospel with them. And they began going to the church in that area, in Jitomer is where it was at. And this past, uh, in this past uh, summer, we got to baptize 12 of those ladies. Mm -hmm. Most of those ladies, those widows, are not believers. And so we provide that for them, and you helped provide that for them during 
during the winter. And we also did all the programs that we normally do. We have not stopped doing what we have done for 25 years in Russia. As much as we can with the staff that we have left in Russia, we have found a way to get some funds in there so that they still do the programs, the Christmas programs that you provide to the kids in the orphanages in, in, in Russia and to the internats in, in Russia and to the, to the villages. As much as we can, we're still working there. Mm. Buddy, every year I ask you just to share a little bit about how special our relationship is, the friendship that you have with us as a church, because I want us to be reminded of when we're here worshiping and connecting and going, doing the things that we're doing in our communities, your generosity is enabling somebody like Buddy to do incredible work in very difficult areas. So just talk about our friendship. Yeah, I don't have a better relationship or partnership with any church like I do here. It is not an exaggeration to say that we could not have done the things that we were able to do without Valley Point Church. And our relationship goes back for, for years um, Bill Clinton was president when we first started our relationship. <laughs> Boris Yeltsin was president of Russia when we first started uh, our relationship. And so much has changed over the years. But you have been faithful. I commend you. Uh, you, you were with us in those first days when actually we didn't know what we were doing. I didn't tell you that, but I had no idea what we were doing. You guys even sent people to us when we had no idea what we were doing. I was talking to Una just before uh, the service, and she was there. And we did our best to get our feet on the ground, but you didn't leave us. You knew, you understood that we had to learn what we were doing, and you helped us. You were there uh, with us through 9-11. That was a traumatic time uh, when lots of people kind of lost their bearings. But you were with us. 2008, the financial crisis that took place, a lot of churches during that time just wrote us a letter and said, man, we're going through a tough time. And a lot of churches, the first thing they did was, we got to cut things. And so they thought, well, we can do without that missionary uh, so they, they did that. You never did. Never missed a moment. Never thought that you would. And then through COVID, wasn't that a time? Uh, sometimes I say to people, man, think about the good days of COVID. <laughs> Wish we could go back to the good days of COVID. Uh, so, but those were tough times. And you were with us. And now this war. When I went from one country to another and... Uh, you guys didn't say anything. You didn't say, well, man, that's a different country. Let's rethink this. I knew you had our back. Mm. And I don't know how to, I don't know that you can understand how important and how wonderful that is for a missionary. Um, G.K. Chesterton said, the grounds for my gratitude are far greater than my ability to say thank you. You mean everything to us, and I, I love you, and I'm proud for what God is doing for you. And, and this relationship to me is what a, what a relationship between a missionary and a church ought to be. You've invested, you've invested in what we're doing. And I, and I really 
sincerely want you to be proud of what we've done. I want to represent you well. You've done such for us that when I'm where I'm at, I think about the fact that I want to represent you well. When we were in Russia, we actually were registered as Valley Point Russia. And we haven't done that in Ukraine yet, but get ready. (laughs) (laughs) Buddy, in an update you shared, and I'll paraphrase this a little bit, in the last couple of weeks, a team has been in areas impacted by war. Some of those soldiers who are now statistics and people with no names have died. Since there is devastation there and sorrow, then the church should be there to help. This is what this team has been doing as they go in. Every time one of the teams goes into an area, they carry the usual necessities that the people will need to survive, food, water, sanitary needs, clothes, and medicines as we can procure them. However, every time a team goes in, there seems to be a new need that we didn't think about. This last time, it was simple batteries. We live in a day of recharging, but in a war zone, sometimes there is no electricity and generators run out of fuel. So batteries have become popular again. Describe for us what happens when you and your team show up in a devastated city. Yeah, I want to take you to a city with me this morning. I want you to try to, uh, I'd like to, to draw a picture of what that might look like to go into a city that has been at one time occupied by the Russians, and now it's, it's, it's freed by the Ukrainian army, but they're still living on, in the war zone. There are three lines. There's zero line, there's line one, there's line two. These people are in line one, just outside of the actual where people are dying, where soldiers are, are fighting. And I'm going to take you to the city of Sibirsk. It was a town of about 60,000 people before the war started. Now there's about 8,000 people left. And you say, why do 8,000 people live there? Well, because they don't have any place else to go. Some of them are very old. Some of them are very stubborn. They just have been there all their lives, and they said, we're not leaving. But they're there. And they are living in a ghost town. I want you to try to picture what you're seeing on television now as you watch and you see what Gaza looks like. What is happening in Gaza for the last month has been happening in these areas in Ukraine for 21 months. Same thing. Same thing. In fact, the blueprint for what they're doing in Gaza, they got from the Russians. And the Russians are backing what they're doing in Gaza. So what's going on there has been happening, and those people have been living in that for now 21 months. And so we take off from the city of Kharkiv, which is the second largest city in Russia, and we head to Sibirsk, which is an hour and a half away. And as soon as you leave the outskirts of Sibirsk, you begin to feel the pressure of what you're going into because you begin to hear the distant sounds of those cannons and the fighting that's going on, and it is constant, it never ends. And those of you who have been in war, by the way, happy Veterans Day to those of you who are veterans, I salute you. Those of you who have been a part of war, have ever been, you know the distinct sounds that come from those cannons, and the, the real distinct sounds of those rapid-fire HIMARS as they're, as they're firing. And you can see in the distance the lights and the flashing, from the war, and you're headed in that direction. Nobody's going that way. Everybody's going this way, and you're headed to that direction. So the pressure begins. 
And you look to the left and you see these fields. And in these fields, there are these ribbons, red ribbons on the trees and on the bushes and on poles in these, uh, in these fields. And you come to realize that those are areas where the Russians have laid landmines. And you can't walk in that area. And you will be hearing over the years and for decades, Ukrainians being killed because they've, some kids walked through a field and, and stepped on a landmine. That is a real, real problem. And so you pass those fields, and as you begin to pass those fields, you also begin to pass burned-out tanks and burned-out cars and burned-out uh, uh, military vehicles. And as you get closer, you see these houses that have been destroyed. But people are still living in some of them. And they are, one of the things we also did for the Christmas initiative last year is we bought rolls and rolls of thick plastic because that plastic is used to cover up the windows that have been bombed out and the, the roofs that have been taken off. And people are still living in those, and we see those houses. And we get closer to the front, we see soldiers living in those houses. They don't live in camps like we see on television. They live in the burned-out houses of where the people have left. And we see them uh, walking down the roads, and we get closer to the front, and we come to the city of Sviersk. And it is a ghost town. It's a, it, was a, it was a town of 60,000 people. I think in your area you said there, you have like 40,000 people, 30,000, 40,000 people here. Well, this was a 60,000 people town. But there are no businesses now. There are no schools. Uh, they're, 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 there's nothing going on in this town. It is a ghost town. There's no place for people to go to buy stuff. And if it's not brought in, well, they just don't have. And we pull up into the town and we notice some people are walking and there's a, there's a young lady on the road and we stop and say, now you go over to this place and in about an hour we'll come back and we'll have, we've got two vans and we've got a trailer and it's full of humanitarian aid and things that they'll need. And we say to her, if you'll come back in an hour, we'll meet with you there and we'll give you some of this. And she walks on her way. And we go to a, an apartment complex that, that has been totally bombed out. And as we pull up into this uh, apartment complex, we get out, and slowly from these holes in the ground, these basements underneath these apartment complex, the people slowly come out. There's little propane fires out in front of these places where they are heating water, making food, and they slowly, it's a apocalyptical uh, uh, a type of a, a setting as those people look out to make sure these are friendlies that have come. And they know the routine because we've been there before, and they come to where we are, and they, they form a semicircle around where we are. And for just a little while, we listen to their stories because they, they're glad to see us because they haven't seen anybody else but themselves for weeks. There's no fairs that come through town. There's no concerts. There's no sports activities. All they have every day is the distant sounds of cannons, and themselves, and they'll gather around and we'll listen to their stories, and then we'll talk to them about God. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine talking about God in that setting? It's not easy, because you wonder where God is, and you have to give people hope, and you have to give them stories, and you have to let them know that God is real, and that He's sovereign, and everything happens for a reason, and everything's going to be all right by and by. And they listen. And we, when we're done, we give out Bibles and we give out literature that will help them. 
and then we give out humanitarian aid, and they always say without, without fail, thanks for not forgetting about us. Thanks that you remember us. And I want to say, I want to pass that on to you, because without you, we would not be able to do that. Thanks for not forgetting. Thanks that you remember uh, people that are living in dire circumstances that, that's no fault of their own. But you're, the church, the church is able to be there. We leave that place and we go to several places just like that. And as we are uh, leaving town, there's this young lady on the side of the road and we stop and we hand her a couple of boxes of humanitarian aid and she says to us, oh, oh, I have relatives down here. Would you please come, please come because uh, they, they have needs too. And she, she gets in front. We don't say, yeah, we'll come. She just gets in front of the van and she runs and she says, come this way, come this way. And she runs for about, uh, uh, about a half a mile. And she says, here they are, here they are. And we don't see anybody. But she starts to yell, and they also are coming up out of the, the basements. And about 30 of her relatives gather around. And she could have just taken those boxes and said thank you and walked away. But she was concerned about others enough to get us to come. And I see that a lot with people who suffer. Uh, they are concerned more about others in those times of need than they would maybe normally. And that, that's a lesson for us because I wonder if we don't care enough about people because we have all that we need. But if we suffered, we'd, we would care more about others who are suffering as well. And so we do the same thing with them. And then we're leaving town and we see a group under a tree and there's about 50 people there. And we realize, ah, this is the group that we told the lady to meet us there. And now we're, we're going to stop and we're having another meeting. But as we, as we stop there, we realize and we sense that things are beginning more intense. The shelling is not so far away now. It's getting closer and closer. And we hear the, it's, it's a most incredible sound when you're in that kind of setting to hear missiles going over your head and not to realize you don't know where they're going to land. There's an electric sound to a missile going over your head that I didn't realize was there. And so you're hearing this go over your head and you're wondering where they're going to land and you, see, you begin to see that they're landing not too far away. And so you realize for the people's safety and for your own safety, you better wrap this up pretty quick. And so we do and the people begin, we, we tell them that they need to go get back into to their homes. And there's this one little crippled boy and he lives about a half a mile away, and he says, would you please take me home? Take me home. And we get into the van. There's no place for him. And I said, we're not leaving the guy. And so he climbs up on top of us, and he just lays across our laps, and we, and we get him home. And we leave those people, and we go back to safety. But they live there in that every single day. That's life for them. And until this war is over, that will be the people that we will serve. That's what a day looks like. That's, that's a scenario of what we do when we take what you provide to us to the front. We have a couple of pictures. Here's one of a grandmother with a Bible, a gift from you, and, and another picture of a young boy with a Bible history atlas that you provided for them all of which we've been part of being able to share so that you can provide this type of literature for people in need. Buddy, how are you doing 
as you see so much and you're close to death and people suffering in pretty extreme ways, how would you say God is sustaining you as you serve him? I think that uh, there, there is constant pressure. When, when you're in Ukraine, there is no safe place in all of Ukraine. There are places that are worse than others, but Ukraine, the whole country at any moment, because of the random bombing, you, you are never completely 100% safe. So there's pressure. But I don't always look at pressure as a bad thing. Pressure is good if it pushes you in the right direction. And if pressure pushes you towards God and your reliance on Him and your faithfulness uh, to Him, then, then it's a good thing. Um, so I believe in the sovereignty of God. After our faith that saves us, the most important thing that we can come to learn in life is that God is sovereign. That everything happens or is caused with his approval. Either he lets it happen or he causes it to happen. And I have to believe that. I have to believe that I'm in the place that he has for me. Um, I am not overly brave. I am, but I'm not also not overly stupid, I think. I am stupid, but I'm not overly stupid. And so I, 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 don't, want, I don't put my, myself in a place that would be just ridiculous. And, uh, and, and I have to trust him. Um, I think that as I see um, things going on around me, death is, is certainly all around us and the, the effects of death on people. It certainly lets us understand that we need to. We there needs to be an urgency about what we do, because, uh, like the Bible says, death is just a step away. And especially whenever you are in that kind of a setting, so relying on on His sovereignty and realizing that everything's going to be all right by and by, I have to preach to myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm preaching to people there. I have to preach to myself. Everything's going to be okay. God's under control. It, things are not spiraling out of control. They are actually in control. No matter what you think or what you see going on in this world, God has not fallen asleep. He's in charge. And he's doing things the way he does them. And in the end, we're going to be okay. You are not able to get back into Russia Although you've talked about you, you probably could get in, but you might not be able to get back out. No. So you haven't gone back into Russia for a period of time now. Yet you have stuff there. You have a home and you have belongings after spending 25 years there. Probably some of that is gone now, correct? Yeah, we, we, we do have a lot of stuff there. 25 years and we took a lot of our stuff from here to there. And when we left, we were gone. And so it's still there. A lot of precious stuff, I think, that uh, you, if your house was on fire, you'd go back in and get that stuff. Well, some of that stuff there. And I, 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 don't, I don't think it's lost. It's, um, I don't consider it a loss. We had great ministry there and I have great friends there and people that call me dad uh, we've adopted them 
uh, they're still there. And so our ministry continues. So I don't feel like we've lost anything. We've invested and it's there. And maybe someday I'll get it back. Um, I have a dream that someday we'll go back. I have a dream that uh, we'll be able to go back and minister again. Uh, I don't know. Maybe my children will. Maybe some of you will. And nobody could have imagined that this would happen. I used to say to you, I don't see the, the Russia closing ever again. We'll always be there. That was my idea. And I had plans to be there. And so now that it is, but I want you to understand, once again, it, it is not a, a war against Russian people. Uh, it, would be, it would do a disservice to those people who are still standing for God. It, it would be easy for us to hate all Russians. Just like it would be easy to hate all Palestinians, right? But you can't put them all in the same, uh, same bucket. There are some people that love God in Russia. They're still trying to do what we're trying to do. And to, and to, and to say that we hate all Russians, that's not the Christian way. It does a disservice to those people who are trying their best to keep on living for God in an awkward situation. They're living under a Soviet Union type of a, a, a life again. And so for the, I stand with them. I stand with them. I, I, I might not ever be able to get back in there, but I stand with the people there who are trying to stand. And, and so our goal is someday to go back. But if we never do, then we just keep on praying and working with those people who are trying to do what we would do if we were there. In one update, you shared several pictures of cemeteries in Ukraine that are now in many of the cities, and you can see some of these cemeteries on the screen. You shared there is no funeral home as we know them in the U.S. There is no service in a comfortable hall or church. When there is a funeral, the people gather outside, they sing together, there's a message, and the grave is covered. People pass by and place flowers and then go home. It lasts about an hour. But the hardest hours are yet to come for the wife and family. In Ukraine... The women affected by these deaths are called wives or mothers of fallen heroes. You do not call the wives widows. I like it as it adds a measure of dignity to someone who has already lost a measure of it. Our generosity, I think, is going to make a big difference as we share that with you this year. Just talk a little bit about how you see that being used in particular for the wives and mothers of fallen yeah. heroes. I think this winter will be harder than last winter. Russia has had practice, or, or the aggressors from Russia have had practice on how to uh, best uh, defeat or to work during the winter months to cause life to be miserable for the Ukrainian people. The thought is if we'll make life miserable for the, Russia, for the Ukrainian people, they'll get tired of the war and they'll put pressure on the government and they'll sue for for peace. And so that's their mentality. And I think it'll be worse this year than it was last year. Number one, because of that. And number two, because uh, the eyes of the world have gone from Ukraine to Gaza, to Israel right now. And uh, less and less aid is going into Ukraine. And so it is making life much more difficult. The war has produced what wars produce, widows and orphans and mothers and fathers who are grieving. And so last year we began this, and this year we want to expand what we call Operation Pure Religion. 
What does the Bible say pure religion is? One of the things that it is is that we help widows and the fatherless. The Bible lets us know, those of us who have worked with orphans for, for many years, we understand that God has a heart for the fatherless. And God wants to be the husband, the, the father to those who are without. And so if it is important to God, then it must be important to us. And so there are wives that, and when I think about widows, when I first started thinking about helping widows, I thought, widows like we have here. And what are our widows here? They're mostly older. They, live, they have lived together with their husbands for 50 years or forever long. Not so when there's a war. We're talking about widows who are 20 years old, 25 years old, 30 years old. They're young. They have all of their lives in front of them. They have all of their children, have their children to raise, but without a dad now. And so that is devastating. It would be devastating at any age, but especially when you're that young. And so beginning as the church, as the church, we must be there for them. They will be looking to see who will be helping them in their darkest hour. And so as the church it is our responsibility to be there for them. If the government helps them, then they'll look to the government. If an, a humanitarian organization helps them, they'll look to the humanitarian. If the church helps them, they'll look to the church. So our, our part of what we'll be doing with uh, your initiative this year is, is investing in helping widows and orphans, doing Christmas for them. It'll be one of the worst Christmas for them in their hearts because they're doing that with, without their dads. We want to bring some joy to them. We want to bring the love of God to them. We want to show the love of God to them. We'll buy gifts for them. We'll provide what they need in their homes. We'll bring them together for the retreats like we did last year with that one group. We'll do it in Jatoma. We'll do it in Kiev. We'll do it in Vinitsa. We'll have three groups of those ladies. I don't know how many that will represent at this point, but as many as we can, we'll minister to. We'll go as far as we can with what we have in trying to meet the needs of those ladies. And I want to thank you in advance for what you'll be doing for them. The Bible says if we just give a drop of water in His name, then that's valuable. And it's valuable when we're able to give the blessings of God that gives us to those who are without and those who are in desperate need right now. We have a few pictures of this in action because you've already started to meet with the wives and mothers of fallen heroes. This is a church meeting filled with many of them, correct? Right, right. That's in Jitomer. And then here's another picture of Buddy working with a translator in one of those services. Buddy, I would love for you just to share a verse or a passage of scripture that you sense God has given to you during this time. J just share that with us. Preach to us a little bit, please. <laughs> You've got time. You're fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me share a, word, uh, a passage of scripture from me from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 down to verse 29 real quickly. Now, the important thing is that your way of life should be as the gospel of Christ requires. So that whether or not I am able, Paul is writing this, whether or not I am able to go and see you, I will hear that you are standing firm with one common purpose and that with only one desire, you are fighting together for the faith of the gospel 
Don't be afraid of your enemies. Always be courageous. And this will prove to them that they will lose and that you will win because it is God who gives you the victory. For you have been, well, you have been given the privilege, the privilege of serving Christ, not only by believing in him, but also by suffering for him. Now, you can take part with me in the battle. It is the same battle you saw me fighting in the past, and as you hear, the one I am fighting still. So Paul is talking about war. He's talking about being in battle himself, and he's talking about the privilege of it, so much so that it's a privilege even if we suffer. Think with me just for a minute, and I'm going to have to say this real quickly, where we are in world history, not just American history, but the history of mankind. When I was a boy, the one thing when I was a little boy that, that convicted me and made me want to become a Christian was I heard somebody talking about the end days when Jesus would come back again. And he was talking about things that were taking place in Israel. And whenever I, ever since then, every time I hear something happening in, happening in Israel, I think that's important. It ought to at least pique our interest when things begin to happen in Israel. Now, with all the pandemics and with all of the catastrophes and with all that has been going on in the last months and years, that has to have stirred something up inside of us to say, maybe, maybe God is wrapping things up and getting ready for him to come again. Now, I'm, I'm not fear-mongering, and I'm not all, all that, uh, I, I'm not someone says that uh, this is the date that he's coming, but for those of us who are Christians, it's got to at least make us interested in the end times. Now, wouldn't it be the most wonderful thing if God would choose us to be alive in the day when he comes back again? Paul didn't get to be there. In the last days, think of your favorite Christian, the best Christian you've ever thought about in the history of the world. They didn't get to be alive. They're already gone. But you may be chosen to be here when he comes back again. Isn't that incredible? The things that are happening in in this world have to give us cause to think about that. When, when my mama got married when she was 16 years old, my dad was 18 years old, they lived out in the country. My daddy would get up in the morning and he would catch a train. He would go to a train, uh, train track crossing uh, about a half a mile from, from, our, from their house, and my two oldest sisters were, were, were born then, and he'd, he'd jump on the train and take him to town and he'd work and he'd jump on the train when he'd come back and it would blow the whistle at that crossing and in the afternoon when he was coming back or in the evening when he was coming back my mama would listen for that train and when she heard that train she'd know ah daddy's coming back he's coming back and she'd hear that it would get to that crossing and she'd hear the engine going by and my dad would get off that train jump off that train and he'd walk back through the woods and when he got pretty close to the house, or as close as 
uh, as it was so that she could hear, she, he'd cup his hands around his mouth and he'd make a sound. I, he, he did it and I love to hear it, but it was something like this. Woo! Woo! <laughs> and my mama would hear it and she, he'd know. She'd know. He's getting closer and she'd say to my older sisters, y'all get ready now because daddy's coming. He'll be here soon. And she'd put a dinner on the table. And he'd come home. It was an old country house. And he took off his shoes outside on the porch. And he'd wash out on the porch. And he'd open the door and daddy was home. I think God's doing some of that right now. I think we're hearing the noise. I think that we could be. Oh no. But I think we could be hearing the noise. I think he could be near. Trains coming. I think he's making that noise so that we know. God said he'd do it. He said we wouldn't know the day, but we'd know the season. And wouldn't it be something if we were chosen to be here? I think he's saying to us now, get ready, get cleaned up, and get everybody you know ready too. Because I'm coming back again. Now, what do we do if we know he's coming back? Do we sit down and just wait? Do we give up? Jesus says, no. Look up. For your redemption draws nigh. That is great news for us. Everything will be all right by and by. But before he comes, we find our place in line. We find our place in the line. We stand there. We work. We fight. We keep our place. The Bible says often to us, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Even in the worst days, and these days may get far worse, and if they do, we keep our place in line. You keep on doing so that when I come here next year, if y'all have me back next year, uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just as proud of you. And you've, you've kept on at it. But if we don't get back here next year, I'll meet you in the air, and we'll shake hands with one another, and we'll spend about an eternity talking about what God did with us here. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy, thank you for your passion. Thank you for your love for Jesus. And thank you for following a, a great call in taking the truth of Jesus and his love into really difficult places. God just has a distinct call on you and you've been following that faithfully and we're proud of you as a church for how you are living out and demonstrating faith in God and following him in front of all of us. And so it's a real joy to partner with you and we'll talk more in the weeks to come about our Christmas initiative and how we're going to give and set a goal and give all of that away to Buddy and others so that they can do what God has asked of them in generally pretty difficult places. So thank you so much for your love for us as well. Your words truly are a gift to us. Can we thank Buddy? Can we do that? We've done this the past couple of years. I think it's kind of a fun thing to hear you pray in Russian. So we're going to pray now. I'm going to ask Buddy just to pray, knowing God understands and hears.
And then I'll follow that with a prayer in English. And then we'll give you some announcements. So let's just spend a little bit of time in prayer, buddy. Nebesný Otec, my blagodarím Tebe za etet prikrasný den, setet choroši cerkovný simi. Ja malius za nik, štoby ani budec delet vso, što ti skažeš. Mi sprosim Tebe, štoby vi byli by spastit ljudi zes, ktorý ni znaje Tebe. Мы благодарим тебе, пастор Эрик, и его прекрасную добрую семью. Я спрошу, что ты будешь защищать их, чтобы они будут работать для тебя до конца. Как мы умеем, наш отец, мы хотим, чтобы ты знаешь, что мы любим тебя. Мы благодарим, что Ты любишь нас. Мы благодарим Тебя за прощение, тепление, что Ты любишь нас, как мы даже мы можем понять. Мы спросим Тебя, чтобы Ты будешь помогать нас сделать лучше и лучше и быть с нами когда мы стараемся. Аминь. Father, here we are in a special place, your church. We're gathered and so thankful for a special servant that I think you have touched uniquely and have sent into difficult places to serve and to share your love with others. God, most of us will never be in these places. We'll never have the opportunity to go there. You've placed on us a call to be here where we live, work, and play to make a difference and to shine for you. So help us to do that, being inspired by the words and work and love of Buddy. But God, help us to also lift him up in prayer as He will be returning to Ukraine soon. Keep him safe. Give him and the churches there opportunities to shine for you, knowing that the church needs to be there at this time so that when peace does come, people will still turn to the church. So enable him, empower him, and give him great opportunity to keep being a bright light in Ukraine and beyond. And God, we want to give our Christmas initiative to you now, even before we talk about goals and have other partners share. We want to just give that to you, knowing this is a really special thing to engage in as a church so that we can choose to live off of less and say no to something that we may want so that we can partner with others to see your work go forward around the world. So God, stir in us a desire to just hold everything with open hands, knowing that it all comes from you and it is all for you. So we just give this day and our initiative to you and ask that you use it. Thank you so much for our friend 
and missionary buddy. Bless him and his family, we do pray, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, 